Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Check out the Hog Talk Podcast, the newest addition to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Lemitard show Suey winner and the <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. Welcome into episode number 139 of the Hog Talk Podcast. I am your Monday host, Kyle Sutherland, alongside Porter Hayes, and we appreciate you guys, as always, for joining us. If you haven't subscribed to the pod, you can do so wherever you listen, whether it be Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we are there. And while you're there, if you could be so kind to give us some star power and leave a written review and help us get our name out there and reach more people, that would greatly be appreciated. I want to let you guys know that the show is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. And while you may not be at the games this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can also get involved virtually through the online casino that never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And Porter, something I've been thinking about all week. I know whenever we were talking last week and you had mentioned from a lifelong fan standpoint like myself, talking about where this team is when you really break it down. And I noticed that I had said that I can't quite put them in the top half of the SEC yet. I, I misspoke on that. I definitely think they're in the top half of the SEC, despite the game against Florida, how bad they lost. I, I would for sure put them at either the five or six spot. Me personally, I would probably have them at the five. But when what I was actually getting at, what I, my, my point was trying to be, was I don't think that you can – some fans were, after the, the way that they played against Ole Miss, the way they played against Mississippi State, Tennessee, they were wanting to possibly put them around that top four. I saw a few tweets and a few Facebook posts about that. I think that we saw against Florida and against Texas A&M that this team, despite how great they have or how really good they've been this year, they're, they're not as far along as some people thought they were. Yeah. And, and that's, you could just see the talent, you know, and, and I want to touch on the, the teams in SEC, you know, it's not Alabama and, and Georgia, you know, running away with the SEC this year, you have Texas A&M who looked apart, Florida who looked apart on you know, top of with Alabama and, but you've got to also look at the success that look what they did against, you know, Ole Miss and, you know, how they looked against South Carolina last year. I mean, or last, last night, you know, there's hope there. They are a top half of the team, you know, but you know, you can't sit here and we, we warned fans beforehand, you know, you can't sit here and let this loss really get to you the way it did because you still have to take a step back. And I think, you know, us fans, even even us on the on the hog talk, we get caught up in the emotions of how, you know how they're doing and thinking they can go out and and compete with a, a team like Florida, and they did compete with them. I mean, the the score shows otherwise, but 
I mean, they fought till the end. And plus you have your head coach out. You, you've got your defensive coordinator who instead of just focusing on halftime adjustments, what they have been really good at, now he has to control the whole team. I think that had a lot to play in it. And I think that's another aspect that we didn't look at was we thought that, you know, Odom could just jump right in and, and really have this team all around ready to go. And that, that just shows you what Sam Pittman brings to this team, allowing Odom really to focus on the defense. And, but, you know, you've got Alabama, Texas A&M, Florida that are just right there at the top. Georgia, you know, they're still yet to be, you know, play – you know, their full potential. I think they're one of them overrated teams that, you know, they get ranked really high and they just, they they underachieve, you know, they don't do what they're expected to do, especially in the East. You know, you look at the Eastern side of the division and, you know, teams like Georgia should just run away with it. Now it's Florida's turn. So the, the two games that I really thought that, you know, the, the other team had a lot to prove was Florida and Texas A&M, and they're really taking the reins this year. And you, you, as Cabo said, you can't do nothing but tip your hat to Kyle Trask and what that team's done this year. Kyle Trask was phenomenal. He's been phenomenal all season. Now, if you look at Mac Jones, I know up until uh, the game, the game on Saturday night, I, I'm pretty sure Kyle Trask has passed Mac Jones in the SEC or came pretty close to it since Alabama didn't play. But you think about where he's came from. They talk. I mean, as much as they talked about it about 20 or 30 times on ESPN on Saturday night, uh, that he came from Manville, Texas, was the backup to De'Eric King. Probably could have started on just about any other high school team in the entire country, even in football crazy state like Texas. And Dan Mullen is maybe – and I've said that he is one of for years, but he might just be the best developer of quarterbacks in college football right now. You look all the way back to what he did with Alex Smith and, and grooming him to be the number one pick in 2005. And Alex Smith still – I mean, the, maybe the – and I think that that's the greatest comeback story in sports, still in the NFL despite almost losing his leg to a gruesome injury a couple of years ago. Almost losing his life. You almost, know, he almost yeah, died. Could have, could have and, died. And he's starting today. He is. And yes. also, too, right after that, Brian Johnson. So you've got Brian Johnson that is now the offensive coordinator for Ole Miss. And he did he, – they came out in 2008 – or 2007, 2008, Sugar Bowl just blasted Alabama. I don't know what it is about Alabama and Sugar Bowls, but it usually just doesn't end very well. Brian Johnson. Then right after that, Tim Tebow. Now, Tim Tebow may not have been the greatest quarterback in terms of throwing, but he's one of the greatest college football players of all time, spent some time in the NFL. And then you also look at Dak Prescott. Uh, Now, I'm a little bit biased because I'm a Cowboys fan, but I think what he did with Dak was incredible. And it started to get to that – you started hearing rumblings that he wasn't able to do anything after Dak, and that's even transferred over to Florida. Now, I think he's done pretty dang well at Florida, uh, but – I think that what what he has done with Kyle Trask, and it's not just him, it's his staff too, but you look at his history over the last 15, 20 years, close to, closer to 20, I guess now, and it's very, very – I think it's a very uh, bold but also not crazy statement to say that he is as good as they come at developing quarterbacks in college football. Yeah, and as much as people don't like him, and I've seen a lot of, you know, negative comments on it, but, you know, you look at Nick Saban, that dude's not the friendliest person in the world. I mean, he's all business and he don't care, you know, and and I think Dan Mullen's the same way. And I think that that is something that Dan Mullen has realized, like, look, 
I want to win a championship and I'm going to do everything I can to win that championship, you know, and, you know, he finally got out of that Western division and, and Mississippi state had to battle LSU and, and Alabama. Now he's over at Florida where the competition's not as strong as, you know, playing Texas A&M, Alabama, LSU. And then if you got to go to your, you know, your cross division and play Georgia and, and Florida, you know, so, I know it's a it is an unpopular opinion, and a lot of people are calling him a d bag and stuff. But man, when you're going to be at that elite level, you got to win, and that's what it means is winning. And for him to be that way, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it, it's not cool to be sitting there still throwing and stuff. But you know, in this day and age, when it comes to you're looking at your quarterback wanting to be a Heisman Trophy contender and you're wanting to get those style points, it, it's been proven. Even we go back to the way back to the BCS days. You have to run up the score to because they're sitting at six, seven right now. So they're really having to protect their brand. And when it comes time for the college football committee to to look at the best four teams you know, they're just doing what they have to do to protect, to get their ranking up. A lot of people aren't looking at it that way, but me, you know, outside looking in, you know, Florida is going to have to do whatever they can to climb up those rankings because if the other four teams doesn't, you know, fall, you know, Florida's got a chance to, you know, to make their marquee win if they, if they happen to make it to the SEC championship game and play Alabama, which that's going to be one hell of a game, but, you know, on the losing end of it, you never want to see that, but you have to look at it from the other side. And Dan Mullins happened to do what he has to do to get to that top four. I couldn't agree more. No, you truly took the words out of my mouth. I've always, I think that you know, I've always been one of those guys that if you have a problem with people scoring, then stop it. Uh, Steve Spurrier, well before he coached, or well, well uh, before he, he coached prior to Dan Mullen being at Florida. That's what he said. People didn't like him scoring. I mean, he was putting up 90 on Vanderbilt in the 90s and 80 on Kentucky all, all the time. And like you said, they've got a loss on their, their resume to a Texas A&M team that is probably going to win out and possibly get a spot in the college football playoff. So there, you think about what this offense has done now. The defense has been pretty shaky. I talked about that with Adam Silverstein when he was on Friday's show, the Florida beat writer from OnlyGators.com. And Todd Grantham's had, had some uh, struggling times this year. A very well-known defensive coordinator had a lot of success through the years. But this offense in the first half had six possessions. They scored on five of them. You know, the only one that they did the face mask penalty of Julius Coates that we got away with. Now, I'll say this to add that, to add to this. Arkansas fans have no right to complain. And I understand this is only one time, but there was a lot of calls that either they let us get away with. I noticed, especially in the first quarter. And then after that, Julius Coates, I mean, that was pretty much blatant as day and they happened to miss it. So we've got to get past this whole thing. Anybody that's still caught up on Auburn, get over it. We're, we're what, four or five games past that at this point. We're not going to get that win. We're three and four. I'm sorry. I know it's a tough pill to swallow. I agree just as much as anybody that we did get hosed against Florida. And I'm not saying that the referee – I'll never, ever say that the referees decided the game because you've got 60 minutes. I know a lot of people disagree with that. That's okay. But you will never hear the fact that a referee lost you the game I don't care if you were ahead. You'll never hear that come out of my mouth. I'm not saying you're wrong if you believe it. That's how I believe. But – I just look at what Dan has been able to do and what he did building up Mississippi State, what he did building up Florida. And like you said, for for a while, it was Georgia's to lose. And I think that Georgia 
The biggest problem is, yes, they have, they're pretty depleted in their secondary on defense. They don't have a quarterback. Who knows what's going on with JT Daniels? But it's not – Alabama right now is the best team in the SEC, but I definitely don't think that it's insane to say that Florida is maybe just a, just a short step behind them. Well, and, and to touch on what you just said with Texas A&M, you know, the, the college football committee is – and this is kind of go back what we're, our previous topic, what we are talking about is, you know, the college football committee has already proven that a team like Alabama doesn't have to necessarily win the Western Division to get in the top four. So that's another aspect that Florida is looking at because Texas A&M could rightfully run the table – not have to go to the college, uh, the SEC championship game and still be considered a top four team. It's, it is a reality. So, therefore, that just adds to what Florida needs to do to catch up that ground from that, that loss to Texas A&M. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, we've seen so many different times. The most recent that I can think of that I thought a team got hosed was uh, it came down to Baylor and TCU. I think it was 2014. Uh, they had the only loss that – I think it was Baylor that had the only loss – to TCU, and then TCU was pleading their case and stuff. So that's exactly it. Uh, Nick Saban was the one that said that, you know, in order to to get a shot at the national championship, you need to win your conference. And we've seen Alabama get a shot at national championships without winning their conference. And so uh, I, I don't hold anything. I think Dan Mullen definitely is not always the nicest human being in the world. But, you, you know, I think that sometimes because of the way that coaches coach in games. Uh, now, of course, the whole thing with the fight uh, in against Missouri at halftime didn't help. Um, I, I didn't really see a problem with what I think that he was just defending his team. Now, I'm not saying getting in people's faces as the head of a program is probably the best way to go. But it seems like Florida was already good. But it seems like after they came out for halftime against Missouri, they have just been a completely different team ever since. They've been averaging around, I think, since that time between like 24 and 27 points a half, it seems. Uh, I don't know if it's quite that much, but either way, um, just, I mean, I almost feel like, I feel like Dan Orlovsky right now, just continuing to salivate over them, but they've just been that good. And the biggest doubt that I had in my mind, or I guess not really the biggest doubt, but the biggest question is how much difference was it going to make without your all everything tied in Kyle Pitts not being on the field due to a concussion. It's looking like he's probably not going to play next week in their game against Vanderbilt either. But these guys just have so many freaking weapons. Even if they don't have to do it on the ground, you look at what Trayvon Grimes did, two touchdowns. Xavier Henderson had a score. Keon Zipperer, two touchdowns. Jacob Copeland, one touchdown. In the last two games, and maybe even past that, this just from what I've seen from us in Georgia, they have had at least 10 people catch a pass. And we were not really – our defense, especially in the first half, was not as bad as it seemed to be. You look at the, one of those touchdowns where Jalen Catalan, it was 5'10 against 6'5. As great of a play. I think that Jalen Catalan is arguably the, one of the best – maybe arguably the best safety in the SEC. I don't know if I'd put him at the top, but he's pretty dang close. But 5'10 against 6'5, not going to win that battle very often, if ever. Hudson Clark, yeah, he got burned a couple of times. But also, he was in a great position a few times, too. And the ball was just placed exactly where it needed to be. So the difference between Kyle Trask and a lot of these quarterbacks, not just in the SEC, but in college football, when you're first, First read isn't there. Some struggle choosing their second and third receivers, and Trask was just able to do that at will, pretty much just like Kellen Mond did, except for Trask did it pretty much on every single possession by getting it into the end zone. But something else that you have to consider, there really wasn't a whole lot of pass rush. I mean, they just basically did. Florida did pretty much what Texas A&M did, and that is have their way with the Razorback defense, except they took it to a whole nother level. 
Yeah, and and we noticed that you talk about the Texas A&M game. I mean, you're playing against elite teams. You're and the first thing I noticed that you know, you're talking about during the game when in the group chat was just how big the offensive line was. You know, and that's the key coming into this game was if they couldn't get pressure on the quarterback, at least get him to hurry to where he can make you know those throws. But I mean, he they hadn't allowed a forty yard plus play you know, all season. And I think three or four of the plays were over 40 yards, you know. So if you just sit there and let a, a guy like the caliber of Trask sit back in the pocket and just throw and and go at will, I mean, you're going to have that happen. Well, and we talked about earlier of just running the score up and Emory Jones got quite a bit of playing time, but he was running the, the offense just as well too. And so going back to the whole thing about Barry Odom being in the press box and Sam Pittman being on the field, of course that did really make a big difference. Not having your head coach there, the guy that has been at the top of really what has, yes, there's so many people that you could point at players included coaches included of where to point the blame of who uh, has really helped turn this program around. They've done it as a whole, but without Pittman being there, it just really did make a big difference. Uh, looking forward to having him back and Barry being up in the box, being able to examine the whole field, focus on the defense. But overall, um, it, I, I was going back to your point about the offensive line. I kept thinking to myself, especially on the first, a couple of those plays that they ran it in from the goal line, it was like if they had a pulling guard or somebody that was coming around to seal the edge, it was like we were in position, we were going to be right there. We didn't really miss a whole lot of tackles. It's just – the blocks were right there for them, and we we didn't have the athletes overall that Florida did. No, and that, and that's where talent comes in. That's where recruiting comes in. And a, a biggest thing is just with this dead period and not being able to, you know, contact some of these recruits and really, you know, solidify your 21-22 class. You know, it's, it's going to be a tough go for, you know, Sam Pittman and the Razorbacks because they're not able to have the – the contacts and the connections like they need to be. And, you know, when you desperately need that talent to really, you know, if you're wanting to up your level to that, you know, if now we're talking about their middle of the pack, you know, if you're wanting to get in the top four, top three in the SEC, that's where this inexperience, because one, the players that you got out there are inexperienced. You can see that with being out of position and stuff and, and just the talent is not there to stick with those four or five stars. You know, you can put a guy in the right position and you can make up for that talent. But, you know, if he gets out of position or the guys are just getting behind you in coverage, especially in that zone, it makes for, for a long day defensively. And you mentioned talk, talking about getting in the middle of the pack. And we didn't even think that we would be at this point. I know that I sure didn't. Most Razorback fans didn't. Earlier this week on the anniversary of Chad Morris getting fired, I had shared something on the Hog Talk, not to bring up bad memories, but just to see how far, not just how far this program has come, but how far it's come in 365 days. Again, nobody dreamed that we would be at this point that we are at, that we would have so much to be thankful for. Think about teams around the league, LSU. Now that a lot of their stuff is with COVID cases right now, but we thought that they were just going to pick right back up. They had all this talent. Yes, they lost some coaches. They lost a bulk of their offense and defense. But we're like, oh, many of us thought they could come out here and they could be second or third in the SEC right behind Bama. But they've just been a complete disaster, uh, starting with the loss to Mississippi State. And speaking of Mississippi State, think about what, what kind of train wreck that is. You know, I personally and many others have talked about 
really how how overrated and overhyped Mike Leach's offense is. And I'm really beginning to think that he's just completely overhyped as a coach altogether because he doesn't even know how to handle stuff off the field. Now, just the way and, – and I talked about, you know, the whole thing with, like, the noose this summer. I mentioned that a, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the pod and just how he's handled things this summer um, or, or, or this season. And you, you get this bandwagon thing going after you beat LSU and just – straight up mop them mop the floor with them and from there uh it's just pretty much just been nothing but i've never seen i don't think a fall from grace so quick in such a, in, in a week basically a week's time and up until this point we just have to understand and i think that most fans do understand where we are as a program i think that most people are looking at this from a realistic scenario but you still see those trolls all the time on on social media and they're still going to be there but yes it, it would you, you can argue that Auburn the Auburn game should be another win. They should be in an even better position than they already have earned. But we just got to continue to count our blessings. Yeah, and and I compared you know LSU to the Miami Marlins. You know, and both times Miami Marlins won the World Series. It's like they just disbanded their whole team. It's like they wanted to win that World Series, and then they just you know cap reason or or, or upfront management you know reasons they just they got rid of their whole team and then they had a falling from grace and, you know, LSU's had a rough go and you're talking about till the two years, you know, think about where Arkansas was last year, where LSU was last year, next week, Arkansas is opening up at a three point favorite against LSU. You know, that is the craziest thing. You know, we're talking about the underhogs and, you know, they're, they're six and zero oh or whatever, six and one now in the spread, you know, they of course missed the spread against, you know, Florida, but I mean, how impressive is that? That they're actually favored in an SEC game, which we wouldn't have thought at all. You know, maybe the Mississippi schools, but that just shows you a flip flop of a season when you lose as much as you did. And I'll tell you what, you know, that, you know, they were supposed to play Alabama this year. And, you know, I know they're dealing with a lot of COVID, but you know, they were so lucky to be dodging that game, especially, and I've said this a couple of times in the group chat, especially after that video got leaked at, after the game and how Ogeron was just yelling F you roll tide, da, 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 da. You know what? That stuff don't age too well, especially with, I mean, they would have hung a hundred on them because from what I was hearing from the Bama side of things, they really wanted that rematch and they were not going to let up at all. I want to continue that talk about LSU, but before we, before we touch base, we got to hit a break in a second before we touch over to that. I know you and I had talked a little bit off air about, after the game, uh, during the post-game handshake and everybody was was talking with each other, just the amount of respect between Felipe Franks and the Florida football team. You saw the hugs from Dan Mullen. You saw the hugs from Kyle Trask. I think that, that, that he really is genuine when he says that they had a healthy, competitive relationship. Obviously, they're fighting for the same spot when Felipe was still at Florida, but it was very, very clear the amount of respect that these guys have for each other. I'll say this much. Florida is one of my the teams that I hate most, and not just SEC, not just college football. It's one of the teams that I hate most in all of sports. Uh, it's just a, one of those schools that I, I I I admire what they've done with all the national championships and all that. But it's just a uh, long story of why. But I, I really commend the way that they the way that they respected Felipe just how they were after everything. And, and it's still that mutual respect. There might be some bad blood between the fans and Felipe, but it's clear that the majority of this team, uh, just how they feel about him and, and just how much 
think about too, Porter, is how much he has matured. One of the things that I really was concerned about on top of some of the things with his mechanics was how mature is he going to be? You saw him shushing the crowd when uh, they were getting booed against South Carolina. You saw how he was in that game against Miami at the beginning of 2019 when he was that they were scoring back and forth and he was hooping and hollering and just all up in the camera. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that was a bad move per se, but it was definitely not something that a mature quarterback would do. And all we have seen from him this year is business as usual and maturity. Well, it wouldn't impress me. It, it, you know, it wasn't just a couple of people that, you know, felt obligated to come up there and give him a little dap and show him some love and then walk off the field. I mean, there was a line. Like, you've seen the picture, you know, his, his mother posted on Twitter of just the line. It looked like kids lining up for Santa Claus. You know, I mean, it was just so impressive. And it's like that love, you know. And Felipe Frank said in an interview before the game, you know, it's – it's like he sh- he knows the love he has for Florida. They were he always be a part of them, but at the end of the day, he needs to go out there and win the game. And coming into the game, my that was one of my concerns was you know how is he going to handle the first drive or two? You know is he going to be overhyped? Get his nerves? You know is he going to try to do too much because he's trying to prove a point? You know and from what we seen there in the first half, you know I mean he he was poised and and like nothing you know once he got on the field. He left all the drama to the side. He left all his emotions out on the on the sideline, and he went to work. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Is how it really made me think about it when I saw the post game and how you know you used to hear so much when you, when Felipe had a microphone in front of his face, he was throwing shade at the fan base or just saying some immature things at times. And this year, when you've heard him, it's it's all about the game right then. Then he moves on to the next one. Just been a great leader, a very quiet leader that I don't think a lot of people realize how great of one that he has become or maybe that he even was before that I personally didn't realize. I was thinking about how I had really never heard Barry Odom speak before he was the defensive coordinator at Arkansas. He's a pretty quiet guy, kind of like Sam Pittman is, very down-to-earth, very reserved. And – I was thinking about how Sam Pittman has just we, – we've talked about on the podcast a team in his image. And I think that that's a lot Barry Odom's image too. He's very just down to – he is aggressive. He can be very intense. No question about that, just like Sam Pittman could be. But I think that Felipe Franks, that Barry Odom, so many – there's so many coaches and players that you could point to on this team that are just a direct reflection of what Sam Pittman is such a great example of and that I think a lot of those other guys had before. But it's just been taken to a whole nother level. And and this team is um, – I love how they go about their business with the whole, hey, when we're at the game, it's all seriousness. If we win, we, we celebrate it in the locker room. And then after that, we get that off our minds in the next, next man up. That's the way that they thought and – that's something that Chad Morris uh, teams were not able to do. So we're up against a break and we will continue the talk uh, going into next week against LSU, along with a little bit of Arkansas women's sports and also a quick recap of the red white basketball game. We'll be right, right back. Stay with us. The Hawk Talk podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handyman. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. 
From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. We're back on episode number 139 of the Hog Talk podcast, continuing Razorback football talk going into the LSU game this coming Saturday. And Porter, one thing that I was thinking about this morning when I was when I was really kind of just recapping the game uh, against Florida. Yeah, you. this was before I knew that the Razorbacks were going to be favored. And I, I really feel good. I feel about like the same way that I did against Tennessee. I feel extremely confident. However, it's just not going to be a cakewalk. As we've seen so many times, there are no such thing as cakewalks. But I look at this and I reverse the roles to how normally Razorback fans look at this. And that is, well, we might be a little bit down this year, but no matter how good LSU is, we always tend to play pretty tough in that game. So that's the way that I'm trying to look at it because I really do think that we have the better team. We have the better coaching but the problem is, is LSU does have that talent. They haven't done much with it this year. However, I think that the Razorbacks know just as much as anybody that they cannot overlook them in any case. No, you can, I mean, it's LSU. I mean, and it goes back to, if you want to say, and this is my opinion, closest thing Arkansas has to a rivalry is LSU from a football aspect. That's the game they always want to play for. Of course, Miami, or not Miami, Missouri's starting to creep in just because of, you know, not being able to beat them. And then, of course, with Drinkowitz and then the, the linebacker who was running his mouth a few years ago and, and still, you know, couldn't come up with that victory. But LSU is that game that we always used to look forward to. When they played in Wall Memorial Stadium, that was the game after Thanksgiving. And I think a lot of the rivalry was taken away when they moved the game away from Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving. But you can't take them lightly. And, and from what I'm hearing, you know, it's not even for certain if – you know, the game is going to be played. I don't know yet. It's not been confirmed, but they're still having some some issues. But this team's really down, and Arkansas is playing up. Yeah, they got, you know, beat by Florida. But a thing I noticed was, and this is fans and players, last year after they got beat or lost, everybody was down on the team, down on the coaches. And, of course, this year you've got your trolls. Trolls aside, you know, they need, they need to go back to MySpace. You know, it, it's – Everybody that is serious about the Hogs are like, okay, I know we can get the boot. I know we can pick ourselves back up. You didn't hear that last year or the last five years. You know, coming off a loss and, and a big loss, as, you know, it wasn't a close game like Auburn. It, it was a, you know, 20-something point loss. And now they're still like, hey, I know we can get the boot. So the confidence that they're having going into this game, knowing they can hang with LSU, I think that's going to be a big key because – we, as much talent as LSU has, were they going to be at physically and mentally trying to get over this, this COVID stuff with the practices, who's out, you know? And so it's going to be, it, we're going to keep our eyes on this closely because it could change between now and Wednesday and Friday, whether they're going to play the game or not. Well, and you also think about too, Miles Brennan's out for the season. So they're going to get, you're going to get some backup quarterbacks, regardless of who that might be. I know that they've played a couple of different guys and all, and really nobody has been able to get the offense going. But like you said, 
we don't even know that this game is going to be played. Uh, I, I'm kind of on the side of that. I think that there was some other stuff besides COVID, maybe a little bit of jitters on LSU side of why this game didn't get played. But that's just my <laughs> oh, yeah. personal opinion. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely a little bit more than uh, maybe what was it, four COVID cases that they had. Yeah. And so I really do believe that Arkansas has a chance to win this. If it's played, they've got a strong chance to win this game and they've got a good chance of beating uh, Missouri and – I don't know. I'm not saying they're going to beat Alabama. I don't. I think it's going to be similar to what we saw to A&M and Florida. Just too many different weapons. But two out of Arkansas's last three games, they've got a very legit chance of winning. And five and five is very realistic. And and man, if if they go five and five, I just don't think there's any question whatsoever, Sam Pitt. Now it's probably not going to be like this in the eyes of media members outside of Arkansas. But Sam Pittman is the the coach of the year in the SEC if that happens. Yeah, definitely. And I, I I think, and this is just the way they're playing Kyle Trask to be the Heisman. And they're all, I mean, and I've seen a lot of people talk about the commentators being all over. They've done the same thing to Tua. They've done the same thing to Joe last year. You know, they're, they get on their darling and they ride it because when it comes to the Heisman Trophy, it's a polit- it, it's not political. It's a popularity contest. So their SEC, they got their guy. And Kyle Trask is their guy that they're trying to really push to win that Heisman. So they got to be on him. And and just like they was all – I mean, every time, you know, Tua was playing, it was, every comment was about him. Last year, Joe Burrow, the same thing happened. Now it's happening Kyle Trask. So, you know, SEC fans, you're just going to have to get used to that when it comes to their darling. They're really going to push them. And But – with what you said about the the we talked about it last segment and LSU kind of dodging the the Alabama game. I, I like I said, I ain't gonna go on that because I don't want it to seem like I'm being unsensitive to to the COVID stuff because it is a real deal and I it, it's pure joking when I say they are more than likely dodging the game. But man, a lot of it is you know we talk about the, with with the college football playoff forming and these teams that are elite now they get humbled and they realize they don't have a chance to play in the college football playoff now you throw in the aspect of people can just opt out look how many players and teams have just opted out and they've lost star players it killed michigan they lost their top offensive and defensive player now they're sitting at one and three so you know is it where the point to where they don't realize they can win anything so are they just going to cash out and and call it a season or what? I mean, mentally. So it's, it's very interesting to see how the rest of the season is going to play out with some of these teams that realize there's nothing really much to play for other than a bowl game. And it's starting to get more and more with the college football playoff. And, you know, you're seeing more players opt out for the draft. So we're going to see a lot more of this happening because of now they're not even playing for, they can come back next year and, and they're not losing a scholarship year. So we'll see where it's at. But I know LSU's been very, very humbled. They're sitting at two and three. So let, let's see where they're at and, and how they can handle coming off the, one of the best, you know, individual seasons of all time. Well, and I was going to add on to what you were saying about Kyle Trask. The other darling this year is Mac Jones. And so just imagine if, if we make it to the SEC championship and it's looking like Florida's going to play Bama, 
just imagine – there's not even going to be any other talk about the game. There can be great plays made all over the field. Kyle Pitts makes a one-handed 50-yard touchdown reception, but it's all going to be about Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. Just the love affair with Oh, those. my gosh, yeah. It's gonna, that yeah was gonna that's on, on CBS. Mute. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be on CBS, CBS and it's going to be on well. mute on my TV. So. Oh, yeah. Every other play. Oh, what a throw. Oh, I mean, he probably he could throw a two-yard loss pass, and they're like, oh, my gosh, he just so looks so poised in that throw. Yeah. Well, like you said, got, got to push their guy. So, yes. But uh, so moving on now, the red white basketball game. Now we start basketball here pretty soon. I guess it'll be next. We are, what is it, about 10 days away. So we're pretty close to the season opener, but the, uh, the red and white team did a scrimmage. And Porter, I, I don't really like to drink the Kool-Aid. I really don't for uh, for practice scrimmage games. And the main reason why I don't, just a personal experience, I went to – I went to a lot of spring games, but I went to the Bobby Petrino one in 2008, his first season, and his last one in 2011. And you know what the similarities were? They both looked the same in spring practice. But you know what? One of those teams won three games. One of them won 11, was competing for a national championship that season. So for that reason, I really never allow myself to get too juiced up for scrimmage games. But I, I am going to say that in terms of the length, the speed, the athleticism that we have on this team, oh, man, I know you lose Isaiah Joe, you lose Mason Jones, but once this team really starts to gel, I, they were picked by the media sixth in the SEC, and I think that that's pretty fair considering from their standpoint, yeah, you recruited really well. I know that they based some of the rankings, the preseason rankings, off of what you did in recruiting. Arkansas obviously killed it right there, but losing two players like Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe, I don't really think that that's a horrible spot for them to be. I may disagree with it, but I don't think it's a horrible spot. But I'll tell you, when this team really – once you get into the season and they start clicking – I think this is going to be we, – we saw some flashes. Uh, we've seen some flashes at various times over the last few years of like, hey, man, our basketball program is about to be back. But I think that this could be the class. Last year's team was really the one that was like, okay, we have something really promising under Musselman, and I think they're going to take that next step this year. And how do you not rank them in the top 25? I mean, in, in, in ESPN, there's other – like they're not even – and then they're outside looking in. And, you know, if this was Kentucky, if this was any other program, Michigan, that had this kind of recruiting class, these high-caliber players, they'd be ranked top 10. And I'm not saying they need to be top 10, top 15, but at least give them – I mean, they have proven that with the recruiting talent they have coming in. Yeah, they lost Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones. But you've got to at least put them in the top 25. I mean, with, with all the recruiting in AAU and – the high school following these kids get, you know what you're getting coming on campus and the rankings. that, And so I think it's just like the lack of respect. You've got to at least rank them in the top 25. What, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not completely upset about the fact that they didn't get in the top 25. I think what's really disrespectful in my eyes is you didn't even get a single vote. The way that you recruited, the way that you finished last season, you're right there on the cusp of the NCAA tournament. And Eric Musselman has really done nothing but positive things since he's been here. I don't know how somebody does not give you at least a vote or two in the polls. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's just – Eric Musselman's kind of made a name for himself. And they were borderline, and we don't know exactly. I think they were on the outside looking in on the bubble last year. But 
just to be considered with what talent he had. I know you had Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe, but Isaiah Joe was hurt for the last part of the season, and they still were, were considered as a bubble team. So with all the talent you got coming in, that's, that's where I look at the aspect of a little bit of disrespect. But then again, on the other side, of they got to earn that respect, and I think they're really going to shock some people this year. Yeah, we should be having Aaron Torres from Fox Sports on later this week to talk about a basketball preview guy that really promotes the Hogs and is real good friends with Eric Muscle and actually had uh, Coach Muss on on his most recent podcast on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Go check that out. So we'll be talking some basketball with him to preview the Razorback season and also get some of his thoughts on Sam Pittman. But another are some other good things that are going on on campus right now, Porter. I know you've been doing your women's report and you're looking forward to covering the basketball team for another season. And, uh, man, I know the soccer team just won another uh, another co – was it a co-SEC West division title or was it – Yeah, yeah, they gave them co-SEC West title, but that, that makes it back-to-back. And, and I'm kind of switching up. You know, usually I do a little rundown of the weekly women's sports report. But, man, Kyle, you know what's coming up with the basketball team and covering it, getting a – I don't know when I'll get a chance to get up there. We haven't, you know, got all the media credential stuff you know, factored out yet, but I, man, coach neighbors and this team's going to be rolling. I can't wait to get up there, but yeah, I just was thinking about all the ranked teams, you know, your cross country team, number one in the nation about to get another national title, but this is the most impressive stat. You know, they have eight SEC titles in a row and they're not winning. They're dominating the competition. So coach Lance Harder has 39 SEC titles, 21 in cross-country, 10 indoor, and eight outdoor titles, and 18 of the 19 last SEC titles through three the three seasons. I mean, that is what, you know, we all see the football team and the baseball basketball team, but, you know, and, and Coach Neighbors is starting to get – but you, you've got teams like the cross-country team. You know, the golf team just finished fifth as the team and they have the number one golfer in collegiate in, in Brooke Matthews. She finished number one in the fall season. So Kyle, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good things going on with the, the women's sports in the fall. And I know you've got to, you know, talk with coach neighbors. So, I mean, what, what, what's your thoughts on this upcoming season with the basketball team? Yeah, I'm stoked. I, I, um, I didn't watch a whole lot of women's basketball before coach neighbors, not because I didn't ha- I didn't like the women's basketball team, but I was not, I'm, I'm still to this day, not a huge fan of Jimmy Dykes. I'm not a fan of Tom Collin. I know personally some things that Tom Collin, I've heard firsthand account stories of some of the things that he did. So I, I bring that negativity part up of it because that program really wasn't in shambles, especially under Coach Collin. Um, Jimmy Dykes, I think, was just a little bit on over his head. But Coach Neighbors just brought in. And I know that I'm biased because we've had him on the show. We know him personally. We've gained a friendship with him. But he's just breathed new life. I've used that term before talking about Houston Nutt, what he did to the football program and what Sam Pittman did just recently and has continued to do coach neighbors did that with the women's program you know coach Susie Gardner who he was supposed to be on her staff before um, Susie was let go she started to bring it back had some pretty good success you know obviously Gary Blair uh, the mentor of coach neighbors had the biggest success getting them to the final four I believe it was in 97 but just what, what what coach has been able to do not only on the floor but bringing in great talent but He's so involved on campus. He's just like Coach Muss. He's pretty involved on social media. And, of course, um, happy, happy birthday to Bowen, uh, his son. I know had our half birthday, I guess it is. Just had half his, birthday, yeah. Yeah, half birthday. He just had his six-month. He posts a lot of stuff on him. But he's just extremely involved. And, and um, 
you know, he's another one of those coaches that that always never fails to show uh, that how how much he genuinely cares for his players. And and I've really started following the soccer team a lot too. I've really liked what Coach Hale has been able to do. Like you said, Porter just been uh, done a great job there and and getting the back to back co West Division championships. The, the track and field team. What more can you say about them? I think that it's possibly the the greatest dynasty in the history of sports. I've told people that, and they start to look at me like I'm crazy. Then you look up what they've done, what this track program has done since its beginning, and it's really hard to argue that. I'm not saying that you can't, but it's really hard to argue. It's just phenomenal what they've done. So, like Porter said, it's it's football, basketball, and baseball that gets all the attention. But what's really cool about it is sometimes you can – you can catch a gymnastics match and something else in the same day, or you can catch a soccer game and a, and something else in the same day. I, I'm not really sure what all align, but you can support a lot of other teams too. Um, there's so much, and, and you might not be able to watch them on TV, but if you're in the, the NWA area, if you live up there, you happen to be there, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. And a lot of it is not very expensive to go to. It's a fun for uh, family day and, and, and more than any family day or get a group of friends, whatever, uh, but more than anything, you're just supporting the sports program because um, you know, college athletes, regardless of what it may be, they put a ton of effort into it and they deserve to be rewarded. And that's what we strive to do. One of the things that we try to do here. Definitely. And you know, this is my second year getting to cover the, the women's teams and I've, you know, got to cover the softball team under Courtney Dyfel and until the season got cut short, but you know, you're talking about the soccer team. I mean, the past three seasons, they're 21, two and two at home, a, a team that hardly made the NCAA tournament. Now they're back-to-back SEC champions, you know, coach Dyfel and the softball team, you know, they're, they're finished ranked 20 before their season got cut short. You know, all these teams that are, you know, ranked the gymnastics team, you know, Jordan Weaver, what she's doing with, with the gymnastics team and, getting them hyped up and building people going five, 6,000 going to the barn Hill arena to go watch the gymnastics team. And Shauna Taylor, you know, she had last year's champion in Maria Fossey. Now you have, you know, Brooke Matthews just finished the, finished the fall slate rank number one. I mean, you touched on it. You know, we talk about the other sports, but it's not like we're talking about them just because they're part of Arkansas. They're good. They're elite programs. And, you know, I've been to a lot of basketball games, and it's funny, Kyle. You can take your family to go watch any of these women's sports at the University of Arkansas, and it's cheaper to get into there than it was to any high school. Like, you know, when my wife and two kids go watch my stepson play football, it's 20 bucks just to get in the door. You know, at, at the Dagum basketball game, they let usually the kids in at half price and and just the atmosphere, like when I go to the basketball games, it reminds me of a minor league baseball field, how they interact with the crowd and get, and they're begging people to come watch them play. I mean, Coach Neighbors and the basketball teams rank 13th preseason, and they're begging to get people to come play, you know, and, I, and or come watch them, excuse me. And I know it's shortened with the uh, season tickets, but if they're going to limit the 4,000, hey – you know what? They're getting two to three thousand on a good game, so that should just mean more of getting more people in the stands to come support this team. Get as get four thousand every game, and I know it's hard to go watch a golf match and how they do the things on the course, but I mean it's awesome that the soccer team is starting to get a thousand people to come show up to their big games. The gymnastics, like I said, filling up Barnhill. So I've I've really made it a mission, and I really love that I've gotten my staff 
you, Kyle, and Cabo, you know, Jacob, Ty, and, you know, everybody's starting to really get more involved in the women's sports. And I love that our fans and our listeners, you know, we can see how much or a, a certain post reaches. And, and, I, and it's made me proud knowing that something that would usually reach three to 400 people. Now it's reaching thousands, 2000, sometimes five to 6,000. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do my part to really raise more awareness to the, the women's game because they deserve it. You know, all the players deserve it and we need to come out and support them more. Yeah. And they're fun to watch. I'm telling you, I could watch Amber Ramirez and Lex Tolfrey just knock threes all day long. And when Chelsea gets hot, she's great from behind the arc and, and they're going to have more of that this year. Um, of course, you know, we lost Lex and, but we got Chelsea back. We got Amber Ramirez back. You got destiny Slocum coming in the best grad transfer coming. I mean, it's, there's some depth, got a great freshman class. It's going to be, there's a lot of exciting things. Uh, not, you know, women's basketball, the baseball team this year. And you got um, Jalen you know, so Mason many. coming off injury too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, yeah, you lost a couple, but this team is going to be really deep. And I think that they can, uh, I think they, they're certainly a top four SEC team. And so we'll be, it'll be anxious. We're anxious to see where they get to. And so, well, I think that will wrap up episode number 139. And again, right now we're just kind of on standby, just depending on what happens with LSU and what happens with Arkansas coming back um, and from a by, by or from a away game. And um, hopefully their tests all come back negative and we're good to go. LSU is good to go. And so we can keep playing football, but as long as we all stay safe, that's what matters. So thank you guys as always for listening. We will catch you on Friday for Porter Hayes. My name's Kyle Sutherland. Take care. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.